That gospel passage is Mark 9, 30 to 37. I hope you will get deeply into this passage at home this week. To remind you what we discussed last weekend, we're in the section of the Gospel of Mark in which Jesus is now traveling with his disciples toward Jerusalem. When he gets to Jerusalem, he's going to enter into his passion, death, and resurrection through which he ultimately brings salvation to this world. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus begins to reveal to his disciples some more of the mystery of who he really is. At the center of it, he predicts three times that he is going to undergo a terrible, brutal death and that he will rise after three days. So he's revealing some of this mystery, which they by no means can fully understand. This is encouraging to me as someone who's trying to grow as a disciple of Jesus. There's an emphasis in this section of the gospel that Jesus' disciples do not nearly automatically understand what he's telling them, both about who he is and about what the requirements are if they're really going to live as his disciples. They don't understand because there's no way anyone had a thought that the Messiah, the long-hoped-for Messiah, would be someone who would suffer. They don't nearly understand, in this passage it says, partially because they're afraid to ask questions. Maybe it's just too big for them. They're also works in progress. This is encouraging to repeat to me. If you're a very experienced Christian, if you've really been living as a disciple of Jesus, I hope it's great news for you to hear again what he teaches in this section of the gospel. Because I'm sure when the first disciples do come to understand what he's teaching, they return to these teachings over and over again. And if you are relatively new to Jesus, it's also very encouraging because this teaching is quite understandable. The issue is, do I get into it? So I would say when you look at this passage this week, you'll see two major teachings. They're related, but they're distinct. And I encourage you to get into both of them. The first teaching is about greatness. As they're on their way on this journey, Jesus and his disciples come to Capernaum, which is his home base. They go into the house where they're based, and Jesus asks the disciples what they've been arguing about along the way. They remain silent. Presumably, they are somewhat embarrassed because what they've been talking about doesn't completely fit with Jesus, and they must have a sense of that, or maybe they know it. It turns out the scripture writer says they are silent because what they've been discussing among themselves is who is the greatest, presumably among themselves, who is the greatest. When you hear that, you can be a goody two-shoes and say, oh, that's so offensive, they're so self-centered. But actually, I think we should give these people a break and consider, actually, it's a pretty good question, but they don't yet understand where Jesus is coming from on this question of greatness. So the greatest anyone or anything is, focus on people, the person who's the most important, the most significant, the most valuable. There is nothing wrong with considering who is the greatest person. We do this regularly. The greatest NBA player of all time is, and I'm not going to put in my opinion because in Lawrence this is a, a knife sport, this question. 
who, uh, we talk about who was the, I believe such and such a person was the greatest president of the United States in serving this country. I think, I was reading a historian I like a lot recently, the, the book is just so good. I was thinking he really might be the greatest historian in the United States of the past two generations. We talk about who is, the, well, we're looking for who are the greatest public health minds in the world during COVID. If I get my hand chopped off today, I'm certainly going to wonder who is the greatest hand microsurgeon in this country because I want that person to get to work on my hand. Who is the greatest teacher at Lawrence Catholic Academy? Who is the greatest leader in my family? So can very appropriately ask questions about who is the greatest. The disciples are presumably speaking on a deeper level. Who is the greatest human being among them? And again, for them, that's actually a quite natural thing to do. In Jesus's time and place, his culture is permeated with the question of rank. It's part of the Jewish Palestinian experience of his time. And this is the same for some of the cultures from which some of us come. A person in Jesus's time and place is constantly looking about your status, which involves therefore contrasted with your status in the way they worship, in the way they administer justice, in the way that they deal with one another day to day. A person in Jesus's culture is supposed to honor you with your level of greatness and honor you with your level of greatness. People take it really seriously and they're expected to figure all of this out. And then finally, Jesus' disciples are hearing constantly from him that he's beginning this kingdom of God. Most of them probably think it's going to be an earthly kingdom, that he's going to overthrow the Romans, that Jesus is somehow going to establish God's kingdom in Israel, and there are going to be positions in this kingdom. So probably they're thinking about that as well. The reason I'm going on and on about this and why I don't think they're just being complete jerks is I'm looking for some hope for us. In our culture, we increasingly, increasingly, increasingly consider greatness in our popular culture based on people's appearance of all pathetic things, people's wealth of all pathetic things. We hold up in popular culture, this person is great because of athletic prowess or freakishness or numbers of followers, and it's quite dangerous, particularly if you love children, but also if you see how stupid many of us as adults are. It is a very dangerous time in this country. I do not mean to offend anyone. If you happen to have been exposed to the Met Gala this week, I mean, that's popular culture's version of greatness. It's really quite dangerous, I think. So I'm going to get to the teaching. Jesus says to his disciples, and he says to us today, with our ways that we can wander away with whatever crazy cultural standards we may have. Anyone who wishes to be first, to be great, shall be the last of all and the servant of all. He cuts in this teaching right to the heart of his disciples' lives in love. He cuts right to whatever aberrant social expectations there are. Whoever wishes to be first, to be great, shall be last of all and the servant of all. 
This we should be able to understand. To be great is to be a servant of all. To be a servant from Jesus Christ is to live like him. It's to recognize that all people really truly are equal as children of God. It is to look at people for their needs, to look for what do I understand you may currently need. To be a servant is to enter into your life and to give what I have to help meet your need. That can be physically, that can be emotionally, psychologically, that can be spiritually, that is always giving the truth of Jesus Christ. It's recognizing that you need to hear about mercy and bringing that truth into your life. To be a servant is to live that way. It's very different than I otherwise would live. And to be the servant of all, to begin to accept that this is for everyone, not just for my family, not just for a select group, not just for the people I like, not just for the people who are appealing to me, for all. We are meant to be great. We're created only from God, who is greatness. All that God is looking for from us is greatness. If you are not pursuing greatness, if you're some kind of mediocre person, you are not living the life God created you to live. We are expected to be pursuing greatness every day. That's what fulfillment becomes. And Jesus teaches absolutely clearly, it can put everything else into the right perspective. The one who wishes to be first must be the servant of all. So if you happen to be the greatest player in the NBA, on one level of basketball skills, leadership, etc., you're the greatest. But if you want to be the greatest NBA player who is the greatest human being, you choose to live as the servant of all today. If you are the greatest parent in this community, on some level that has to do with providing for the needs of your children. But the truly greatest parent on the deeper level as a human being is whoever is the parent who chooses to live as the servant of all. If you are the greatest microsurgeon in the United States, you, on one level, are the greatest because of your skills as a microsurgeon. But if you want to be the greatest microsurgeon human being, you choose to live as the servant of all. You with me on this? It's very liberating. Second teaching. Jesus then takes a child and puts it in the midst of the 12. He embraces the child and he says, whoever receives one child such as this receives me and receives when you receive me it's not me I think he means not just me but the one who sent me who sent Jesus God the Father so please think about this because actually in our culture we thankfully do honor and protect children much more than at Jesus's time in Jesus's time and place children are nothing in terms of society or law. Children in Jesus's time, children in any time and place are vulnerable and they're dependent upon others for protection and nourishment. Children at Jesus's time are essentially non-persons. They have absolutely no relevance. 
There is nothing that even addresses them in his time and place. Children can give nothing to help anyone else socially or materially in Jesus' time. Children are socially nobodies, and they can't give you anything to build up your life. Jesus takes this child, so it's not just about children, it's about any human being. If you receive one person such as this in my name, which means you love them the way I teach you to love them, you receive me, Jesus, and you receive God the Father. If you're looking to experience God, you don't need to look up in the sky, you don't need to sit in some sort of fake trance, you need to identify the most vulnerable person around you right now, the person who can't give you squat, the person who is considered the least. And if you receive that person, if you welcome that person into your life in the name of Jesus Christ, living his love in action for that person, you will find Jesus and you will find God the Father. I'll give you the proof of this. So many people, including so many of you in this community, who actually do that day by day, whether it's serving at Cor Unum, catechizing our children in this parish, serving at Lawrence Catholic Academy, so many people say to me separately and not quoting something they've heard, you know, I really get so much more out of this than I put in. And I always say, yes, you do, but I hope you get this. Yes, you do. You are receiving children such as this in the name of Jesus, and you are getting, whether you understand this or not, you're getting him and you're getting God in the process, God the Father. When you have this experience, I'm getting so much more than I'm putting in exactly. You're getting infinitely more than what you're putting in. You're getting God. You are on the path of salvation. So I hope as we reflect on this this week, next week we will be back here, we will be greater, and we will be much more experiencing Jesus and the Father pulsating in us. Thank you for listening. To learn more and to get involved, go to stpatrickparish.com.